Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Rands, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Welcome back to another book summary. I really wanted to record this video today and I looked outside and the sun is shining, which is a really big deal for here where I live um, out near Seattle. It's been pretty dark and cold this winter, so having the sunshine, I have to take advantage of this. So I apologize for having my eyes closed and squinting a lot if you're watching the video version of this, but just know I am soaking it up. Mm. Today's chapter I'm really excited to share with you. It's a short and sweet one, and it's a really good place to just jump in. If you haven't started this book at all and you're just looking for an easy kind of fun chapter to read, I definitely recommend this chapter. It's not exactly what you would expect, but it's a really good one anyway. It is chapter 11. It's called Heat, Retrieving a Sacred Sexuality. And it has a couple different shorter stories in it, all of them kind of pointing to the specific type of sexuality and sexuality as sacredness. I remember when I was looking through this book for the first time and I saw the sexuality chapter and I was tempted to just jump right to it and I had in my mind like an idea of what it would be about and how sexuality has shown up in my life and in culture. But this chapter actually really took me by surprise because the main focus of this chapter is really more about the obscene and kind of dirty and almost humorous side of sexuality. So if you were like me expecting some kind of deep sensual dive into orgasmic pleasure, this is not really what the chapter is about. But her perspective on sexuality is still deeply healing, especially for those of us who grew up in this culture of objectifying women and women's sexuality. To reclaim it through laughter and through humor is really powerful. She starts the chapter by talking about the dirty goddesses. There is a being who lives in the wild underground of women's natures. This creature is our sensory nature, and like any integral creature, it has its own natural and nutritive cycles. This being is inquiring, relational, bounding with energy sometimes, and not at other times. It is responsive to stimulus involving the senses. Music, movement, food, drink, peace, quiet, beauty, and darkness. It is this aspect of a woman that has heat. Not a heat as in, let's have sex, baby, but like a fire underground that burns high, then low, in cycles. From the energy released there, a woman acts as she sees fit. A woman's heat is not a state of sexual arousal, but a state of intense sensory awareness that includes, but is not limited to, her sexuality. 
She really dives into this topic head on and really calls out the language that we might use around sexuality to make it seem improper or unacceptable. Some of the words that people have used for sexuality are words like obscene and vulgar. And she even goes ahead and tries to define those words and give us a different perspective on what the words obscene and vulgar might mean. She defines the word dirt, filth, generally soil, dust, etc. The obscenity of any kind, especially language. A dirty word, an obscene word, also currently used for something that has become socially or politically unpopular or suspect, often through unmerited criticism and denigration or from being out of line with current trends. Obscene, from Old Hebrew ab, meaning a wizard or sorceress. So as you can see, these words have interesting roots. And as you can see, it's really hard to pin down the real definition of the word obscene and how it has shifted and been kind of pushed underground over time. She talks about obscenity as having the ability to loosen what is too tight, to lift gloom, to bring the body into a kind of humor that belongs not to the intellect, but to the body itself, to keep these passages clear. So a big focus of this chapter ends up being really about laughter and of the kind of laughter that you just can't hold in. It could even be seen as laughter that is unladylike. It's unladylike to laugh at these kinds of things. She starts off with a story from a famous Greek myth starring Demeter and Persephone, who I'm sure you've all heard of. Demeter is the earth mother whose daughter Persephone is a beautiful goddess that loves nature. And as she's out looking at some flowers, the god of the underworld, Hades, comes and takes her from the upper world. Demeter, in her despair, tears apart the land in search of her daughter, and in her grief she curses the fields and the fertility of the land itself, and everything dies. And she is muddy and dirty and crawling through life, very depressed. And she comes upon the little belly goddess Babu. And Babu is this dancing female that is very strange indeed. She doesn't have a head, her eyes are her nipples, and her mouth is her vulva. Babu dances up to Demeter in kind of a sultry way and starts telling jokes through her vulva mouth. The story won't even share what the jokes are because they're so vulgar. And the earth mother Demeter actually loosens up a bit and starts laughing along with this belly goddess. <laughs> this laughter rejuvenates her and gives her the strength to continue looking and eventually she finds her daughter Persephone. And even though the story is really about Persephone and Demeter, the appearance of this belly goddess Babu is really important to notice because she represents that ability for women together with other women to lighten and lift any depression or anxiety through humor. And as she points out, it's the type of humor only women will understand. Women desire to live in a solely female atmosphere from time to time, whether in solitude by themselves or with others. This is a natural feminine cycle. Male energy is nice. It is more than nice. It is sumptuous. It is grand. But sometimes it is like too much Godiva chocolates. We yearn for some clean cold rice for a few days and a clear hot broth to clear the palate. We must do this from time to time. She goes on to say, the little belly goddess Babu raises an interesting idea that a little obscenity can help to break a depression. And it is true that certain kinds of laughter, which come from all those stories women tell each other, those women's stories that are off color to the point of being completely tasteless, those stories stir libido. They rekindle a fire of a woman's interest in life again. The belly goddess and the belly laugh are what we are after. 
So as you can see, this story is really highlighting a very specific flavor of sexuality. It's not the sexuality that you think of between a man and a woman and that romance or that intensity that goes along with that. It's not even really the sexuality that creates a child. It's that sexual and sensual, really, energy that women share with each other. She shares another story called Coyote Dick, which I'll let you read, but it's just a funny story about a coyote who loses his penis <laughs> and the penis ends up in a bush of nettles and is super itchy and between the women in the story the joke is really about that look in the man's eyes that they're so itchy <laughs> and it makes me laugh just thinking about it but you have to read the story I don't do it justice but it's just one example of one of those stories that women might tell when they're together just women with the hope of conjuring up a really really big belly laugh she also talks in this chapter about the difference between the sacred, the sexual, and the sensual. She says, The sacred and the sensual sexual live very near one another in the psyche, for they are all brought to attention through a sense of wonder, not from intellectualizing, but through experiencing something through the physical pathways of the body, something that for a moment or forever, whether it is kiss, a vision, a belly laugh, or whatever, changes us, shakes us out, takes us to a pinnacle, smooths out our lines, gives us a dance step, a whistle, a true burst of life. And she goes on to say, laughter is a hidden side of women's sexuality. It is physical, elemental, passionate, vitalizing, and therefore arousing. It is a kind of sexuality that does not have a goal. It is a sexuality of joy. And it is sacred because it is so healing. It is sensual for it awakens the body and the emotions and is sexual because it is exciting and causes waves of pleasure. This whole chapter is just pure poetry, so bear with me while I share a lot of quotes. There is one final story that I want to share that she shares in this chapter that is probably one of my favorites in the book, and it's just a short and sweet one. The story goes, there's a president, I think it's President Eisenhower, is visiting a country in Africa. She doesn't remember the country, but she says Rwanda. In the tribe that the president is visiting, the women do not wear clothes, but the missionaries that are setting up this visit from the president want to ensure that the president is not offended. So they talk to the tribesmen and they make sure that the women have clothes. So so they give the women skirts and blouses to wear and the day approaches when the president is visiting. When the president arrives, they're all lined up on either side of the road wearing just the skirts because they didn't like the blouses. So already you can see that that's kind of funny. The leader of the tribe assures the missionaries that the women have a plan. So as the president approaches, each woman takes her skirt and lifts it over her head, as you can imagine, probably chuckling into the skirt as she does this, they are not wearing underwear. <laughs> so I love reading this story because it's such a perfect description of the type of humor that she's talking about in this chapter. It's that taking of our sexuality and turning it into something obscene, something sort of uncomfortable, especially in the modern age. In a way, even though it's frustrating that as women, we are told we need to cover up there's also a lot of humor in the fact that we are monkeys that wear clothes. So this version of sexuality has really shifted a lot of the way I think about sexuality and it gives me this more primordial feeling than the way sexuality is sold to us today. And something I think about a lot is just from media and especially social media how sexuality can be a very objectifying thing and as a woman there's a lot of pressure for us to feel and look sexual and a lot of times that means looking really young or sometimes helpless or sometimes pouting there's a lot of this sexual energy that feels a bit stifling like we have to fit into a box 
And what I love about this chapter is she's really introducing a whole nether version of sexuality that we can feel into that's as old as time. And that is the sexuality in humor and how even just a really good belly laugh just feels so good, like such a good release. So like I said, that chapter is pretty short, but I definitely recommend reading it if you're interested in this topic and getting a broader view of what sexuality can mean to you. I have a few prompts, but this time around... Uh, I'm going to let you do these on your own. I don't think these are necessarily answers we need to share as a group. But if you want to do a little bit of journaling on your own, here are the prompts that I came up with. The first one is share a belly laugh story with a woman in your life. Or if you want to, you can just write them down in your journal. Just the other day, (laughs) I was reading through a thread of typos. And these typos were all really funny because they all were accidentally sexual in really uncomfortable situations. And I was dying laughing. I was Literally, there was tears streaming down my face. So finding ways to laugh around sexuality and vulgarity and obscenity is a really enjoyable practice. So in your journal, or if you'd like to, you can share in the comments below. I love to hear more stories and reasons to laugh at the obscenity of sexuality. And my second prompt is reflect on your relationship with the word obscene. And just to add to that, you can also reflect on your relationship to the word dirty and vulgar. And I think there's a lot in there in our psyches for each of us with these words and feeling like, what does it feel like as a middle schooler to be accused of having a dirty mind or having your mind in the gutter, especially as a woman? It feels like, at least in my experience, the boys were expected to have their mind in the gutter, but that if a woman was thinking dirty thoughts or laughing at vulgar things, that it was seen as as unacceptable by the culture around us. So when I was reflecting on my definition of obscene and dirty and vulgar, a lot of good juicy stuff came up for me. I hope you liked my summary of this chapter and thank you for joining me in this beautiful sunny day and I'll see you next time for chapter 12. Thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.